Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. season everybody welcome to ukraine plus football and what a past week it's been the famous phrase you know what they say about 2-0 and 2-0 was the most dangerous scoreline in football struck home once again and no we're not talking about arsenal bournemouth albeit you'd feel that there is a championship defining moment for arsenal from that game after that last minute winner and of course for the omniscient uh omnipresent Alexander Zinchenko. But no, no, we're not going to be focusing on that this week. This week, we turn our attention to the return of the greatest league on earth. We'll be taking you through every club's winter, transfer window, everything that's gone on and opening match day of 2023, so you don't have to. Adam's here with me. Hi, everyone. Good to be back. And so is Ray. Howdy. We're ready to go. I hope you're listening to strap yourselves in the UPL is well and truly back, baby. Oh yeah. Let's enjoy this one tonight, guys. It's match day 16 and we are officially past the halfway stage of the season. In true Ukrainian style, lacking any mystery at all, the fixtures are exactly the same as match day once, just in reverse. So first up on the agenda, the league leaders against Mr. Free Jobs. Now, Ray, you've been having a look at Mr. Free Jobs' team for us. I mean, how did they shape up? How, how are they shaping up going into this second half of the season? Yeah, right. So, in this case, th- those were really great games because uh, the great scenarios and uh, two draws, Alexandria kept the fifth spot. They are five points ahead of Kribas. And... Um, well, today um, I like I actually picked four teams, which uh, like you're going to find out about which they are, which I'm interested in following the rest of the season in UPL because for me uh, they have a, a substantial um, influence in their local community and they have a they produce a benefit, uh, not financial probably, but uh, the um, uh, representative benefit to the football in general to the league. And of course, uh, they uh, have some transfers happening because for me it was it was not always it was not always the top uh, topic uh, to, because like these days in Ukrainian football the only transfers I would agree with would be the youngsters being on loan from top clubs or the other way around. So if you uh, invest in the youth, right? Because like one of the examples would be like Mitro Kasimov from Minai. Because like today, I found out that he is, it's a week since he left the club, like a free agent. And I wonder where he's going to go because the transfer window is closed. I'm not sure about if you can go after that in Ukraine. But the point is, he's like this young star, like, uh, you know, for social medias, like the new David Beckham from Ukraine. He played for Obolon and now he's gone. So that's kind of an example when, you know, the guy might as well just get lost somewhere in the wilderness. But my point is, if you talk about Alexandria, 
then there are a lot of youngsters too. And they started saying then that uh, Rotan has a saying and has a strong uh, skill to, uh, you know, to influence the youth and to produce a result with the youngsters. Like we saw Mustafaev scoring a brace and the match against um, uh, one of the leaders of the league, uh, which is uh, tied with Shakhtar now, but they um, have a strong representation of Latin Americans in their squad. That's why I cannot be bothered to follow them. And they also don't represent Ukraine in the European uh, tournaments like we should. they should have. Uh, anyway, Alexandria has a really good impression these days. Um, for me, it's against all odds, against Mr. Three Jobs occupying these um, uh, positions. So it's kind of, I, for me, it's kind of a, like, you know, a setback from what they already have from, from the previous six months, from the previous coach so far. And if they stick to that fifth position, that's cool. Um, Alexandria is one of the teams which we always admired, like their agriculture, they have their position in um, uh, Kirovgrad Oblast. And um, it's a good oblast for footballers as well. So it's a good thing to see when they play. The Inhulets is the same, uh, it's from the same region, so it's cool. Um, also, the uh, squad is uh, Ukrainian for the most part. They have a mix of youth and um, uh, experience. And after winter break, they've signed uh, a Dynamo Kiev um, midfielder, Mikhailenko, and the keeper from Zoria. They both started uh, the latest match, so they produced a good um, outcome. And uh, as we know, Denis Kostyshin left Alexandria to uh, United States, and so did their keeper, uh, Oleg Bilik, to Inholets. So not much happening there, but so far, as I said, they have a vision and strategy at, for at least the next uh, two months while the this championship ends. So all power to them. Make, let's make sure that this would be the best what Rotten has to offer. Yeah, and obviously just to cap up on that, Big game. We saw Dnipro won the drop points in their opening game of 2023, which, as Ray said, they're now level on points with Shakhtar, who we're going to be moving on to very shortly. During that game, though, just worth mentioning that war, etc., is still a reality, and it was interrupted by an air raid this weekend. And it was actually, I think, the only match that was interrupted. Um, so I guess that's quite a positive thing, all things considered. Um, whether it had too much impact on the actual result in the end is another story. But yeah, one to look out for, certainly, I agree with Ray Mustafaev and uh, Kirill Osehev, who joined from Shakhtar under-19s on the very last day of the season. He came on, looked quite bright in those final sort of 10 minutes. So it's going to be exciting, I think, from a, from a Alexandria point of view. Are we watching a crumble from Deep Pro 1? We'll have to wait and see, but as always, um, as always, you never know really what to think of from this opening game week. So I think time will tell on that one. Moving on, obviously, Shakhtar, uh, they've played two games so far as well. They played against Minai in the week, beat them 4-1. And now they've played against Metalis 9-25. 11 goals in two games because they beat Metalists 925 7 0 
equaled the record for biggest away win in UPL history alongside uh, Shakhtar back in 2001, Denal back in 2001 uh, and 2004 when they played the likes of, I think, Never Ternopil, Obolon and possibly, I think, Krivbas, if I'm not mistaken. But they fell short uh, of the 9-0 record set by Dynamo back in 2010. Other than that, some good some good stuff to look out for from Shakhtar. Obviously, they're scoring for fun. Zubkov looks to be in good form. He was subbed off at half-time, obviously, in preparation for the big one against Feyenoord on Thursday, uh, the home leg, which, if anyone wants to know a bit more about Feyenoord and everything that's going on around that game, listen to our last episode, if you haven't already, when Andy Brassel came on and he gave us a lowdown of everything to do with that Europa League tie. However, there is a concern. Nikola Matvienko missed today's game. Some people think it might be rested. He might be rested. Um, at the moment, it's unclear. So fingers crossed he won't be out because the the other three of his regular back line are suspended. So not looking too good. Regardless, good to see Sakan, Traore, all scoring in goal scoring form. Fingers crossed I continue that into Europe. Now, I think it's worth going on to Mechlis 925. Adam's been taking a look at them this week and I think he's slightly disappointed in that performance. <laughs> I've always been disappointed by Metal S925. I mean, however, at kickoff, I was a bit more optimistic for them. They, the game uh, in Alexandria was a free all draw. was quite surprising for them, given how they'd been in the first half of the season. And when you look at how they've been over the winter break, um, no new players coming in, and they lost... Uh, Boriachuk went back to Shakhtar at the end of his loan spell and he'd been leading goal scorer for them in the first half of the season. So huge question marks over where the goals were going to come from. And then boom, they put three past Alexandria. However, the alarm bell could have rung with Alexandria putting three past them and <laughs> today it went drastically wrong for them in the defence of the seventh goal with... Uh, that man who sadly has gone back to Shakhtar uh, to play in defence, dribbling from his own halfway line and then lobbing the keeper from about 35 yards was the most ridiculous thing I've seen in 2023, I would have to say, until I saw the highlights from Rook, but that's a story for later today. Um, yeah, Metalist, got to worry about them, got to worry about them based on what we've seen. Um there still seems to be one or two little creative sparks. They caused a couple of troubles for Shakhtar's defence, proving out to pull off a really impressive stop late in the game to keep the clean sheet, making up for his huge mistake against Manai on Wednesday. Um, a little dig in there against him with the way he let the ball go through his legs. But, uh, yeah, medalist, 1925 club that I mean I understand why Ray didn't choose them if we're talking about clubs that have a huge impact on their community make a good effort to integrate to develop football they haven't done much and they haven't done much for years it's a reason why they were stuck in the Persia Liga for all those years they just weren't able to create the spark to 
really carried the team forward. And since they've moved up to the UPL, they haven't really done anything to say, hey, we're here. You know, today we're going to be talking about teams, other teams that have come up in the same, over the same few years who have done a lot more for Ukrainian football in the brief time they've been in the UPL. Whereas Metalist 1925, you have to ask the question, why? Why are you here? And I still don't know. I don't have the answer yet. If I find one, listeners, I will come back to you with it. But yeah, I think they're just going to be mid-table. I think they're not going to get pulled down into the relegation battle. I just think we're going to tend to forget that they're here for the remainder of the season. I hope I hope to after having watched them. Uh, however... Sorry, uh, can I just chip in for a second? Yeah, because 1925 Metalist was actually the um, uh, the uh, re, um, reborn club before it was a trend. So it, they actually started it with their fans, with the guys who actually just, they even had a kit with all the investors, all their like patrons, uh, fans, just usual guys uh, on their, all of the names on the kit. So that was like four or five years ago. They played in that kit for a while, but the point is they cannot afford a lot of money because they are people, they were at least a people powered club. And their problem is that they're in the same team, in the same boat with Yaroslavsky. I mean, Yaroslavsky uh, created his own metalist really quick, and they just just jumped out there, like FC Metal. Remember that story? A ridiculous one, of course, but it's just bad luck. And you cannot actually say anything else because, yes, you're right, they're just like a mid-table nobodies, but they are fueled by this um, tradition, by that uh, spirit of reborn clubs uh, from the very beginning of uh, since the Euromaidan. So the, the, those were the guys. But now, now I, I completely agree with you that actually, albeit they were the dream of the neutral fan, uh, maybe before that season, but now, and actually they did produce a good message in the first match day when they wore this um, uh, belief in Ukrainian Armed Forces kit. So that was quite a message. So they were out there. But now uh, two things happened. Their captain, who does not even include it in the match squad, Gabi, he gave an interview in Russian, which was published in one of the Ukrainian websites. I found it by accident. And that was it, right? That was everything in there, what we love about Ukrainian football. The guy actually said that they are going to survive the rest of the season. They are 10 points away from the relegation zone, which is not that much as you if you think about it so come following those results with Shakhtar they might as well end up right in the bottom so the captain said that they are just uh, playing for survival and the money is the issue so no money no honey as we know and second thing is that they are a CEO um, uh, before the, the Shakhtar game uh, ironically he said that we did not book any of our footballers uh, from uh, the um, army. If, if they want to go to the army, they would, like some teams can book the players, so they are like uh, protected. But they didn't do that. Did not do that. And he said, if the need comes, we might as well throw away our kids and put on the army clothes. When something like like that is in the press, in the media, and after, and then you see the results on the scoreboard, you're like, okay, wait a minute. So when is it going to click? That's interesting. I disagree with you about what Metalist 1925 did back in the day, given the fact that there was a lot of talk of uh, how the money was handled there and the fact a number of fans jumped to Metal straight away would say about how badly they linked 
to their community when they were establishing their club. My personal opinion as well. Uh, but yeah, moving on swiftly to Borskla v Zoria. And uh, what a game we had there. It's as if they read the Arsenal Bournemouth script, I believe. Although one of them wasn't battling for relegation. Uh, played in Alexandria as well. That pitch has had a good uh, uh, working out over the last week. Zaria looked quite sharp, I believe. Andrew? Yeah, not too bad, to be honest. Their, uh, their signings, well, their new ones anyway, look, look quite good. They were pretty flat in the first half, not going to lie. Vodskla did go 2-0 up pretty easy. But... On the whole, I mean, they impressed me, uh, Zoria, for the comeback. Nazari Rusin in particular looked really sharp, from my opinion, for someone who's been obviously at the club since the summer properly. And he seems to be like an integral part of the team now. Um, maybe a bit of suspect defending from Bukhtan Butko for, for the first go in particular, but what's new from uh, Butko uh, in defensive capabilities? Um Elsewhere, a, a new signing, uh, Guerrero, who he's come on loan from Maccabi Tel Aviv. He looked quite, he looked quite exciting when he came on. Got an assist within like about five minutes of coming on as a substitute for uh, Brashko to score. And <clears throat> Brashko looks like quite a player. And ironically, obviously, he's the one that scored the goal to start the comeback and then scored the winner. Uh, and Nazari Rusin scored the one in between. And it's obviously two Dinamo players that have leapfrogged Dinamo in the league as a result of this and potentially could even finish third, um, just looking at how they currently are playing this season. Um, just sort of on the topic of what everyone else is talking about with regards to Zoria, we know for a while, obviously, they've been displaced from Luhansk. They were playing in Zaporizhia. And now based in Kiev, predominantly, you would say. They didn't have too bad of a winter transfer window, all in all. However, I think they did lose one of their, or a couple of key players. Uh, Christian, the Brazilian midfielder, was quite a good quite a good player in the team. Maxim Lunov, here and there, never really integral. However, Mikita Shevchenko in goal is a big loss, who obviously went to Alexandria, that Ray mentioned earlier. And uh, Danilo Aleferenko has gone on loan to Shrovna Moritz. And he actually scored, which we'll be focusing on later on. So it just shows that Zoria have had to do a bit of rejiggling this transfer window. But they seem to be have made some, some exciting signings. Two under-20 World Cup winners, Dreshluk and Hachlov. Um We'll see how they start adapting to the new life there. Similarly, um, Mikita Burda has arrived. He's obviously been had terrible injury luck over the past few years, but is a distinguished centre-back in the grand scheme of things when it comes to it. So I'm, I'm confident, all in all, to be honest, from Zoria's point of view. I think they'll be battling for that third spot for sure until the very end of the season. And they've got more than capabilities just going overall because they also brought in Pohorili, who's the leading scorer in the under-19s uh, league for Shakhtar. So we were actually talking about this earlier on in the week, and where because Shakhtar no longer have a Mariupol, 
they now have to diversify their loan signings across the league. So obviously they've sent a few people to Alexandria, they've sent some to Zoria, um, Buleza, who's quite an exciting player, has gone to Menai and a, a few others all in all are just across the league. So it means that potentially they've risked their actual finishing position in the under-19s league and it might impact next season's youth league and whatever. But these players that have really impressed in those group stages that I saw a few matches of live and have been watching, obviously, on the TV, they're going to get given first-team opportunities in the UPL. And I think that's all all great, especially the ones that went to Alexandria. They've actually signed contracts until the summer of 2024, uh, as in loans. So they're away, they're away for a while, but they're only 19. So by the time they come back, hopefully they'll have that experience and be cracking on as the replacements for some of those talents that are already at that level um, at Shakhtar right now that probably will move on. Horskler didn't play too badly today, from what we can tell. How has their winter been? Similarly, I think they've not been able to probably bring in the kind of players that they've wanted to. Uh, they've apparently returned uh, Ibrahim Kane from low, which is obviously quite <laughs> quite exciting from what we know him from wherever. He wasn't in the matchday squad, though, so whether that's true or not is another story. We'll wait and see to see if that actually is something in it. However, they also brought in um, a, a centre-back from Brazil. He started... Got sent off on his debut, so not great. So he's missing the next match. Um, and similarly, they also signed a new goalkeeper because obviously they got rid of Riznik or they sold him for a club record fee over, three, I think, €3 million. Euros. And now they've got Pavlo Isenko. Remember the legendary goalkeeper who saved all those penalties in that cup run uh, about a couple of years ago. And... He's now 19, and it looks like he's going to be the starter. There's, they also signed this guy called Ilya Ponomaranko from FC Lviv, who I think we mentioned before on the pod years ago, who was playing in Crimea for a club. And then he moved to Lviv, and he didn't really play there, and then he's moved here. And some Vorskla ultras who are serving on the front line made a video about him saying, we are not happy that he's at our club and we prefer if he'd leave. And the same for Andriy Kravchuk, who was playing for F a Torpedo Moscow up until around the 24th of February last year. And then he left Russia, went to Manchester, where I think Zinchenko sorted him out with a few training sessions with the first team squad. And then obviously he signed for Vorskla last summer. So Vorskla Ultras aren't too happy with those two players. But I mean... <clears throat> Overall, I don't think they're too impactful on the actual squad. Skripnik, you know, he's trying to play his typical attacking style of football. It was a bit messy and scrappy versus Zoria. But overall, you probably don't see them getting relegated, but getting anywhere near Europe, I think, is going to be a tough ask. And honestly, hearing, obviously, all of the news over the winter break about Zhivago, who is Vorskla's owner, being arrested and then being readied for extradition to Ukraine um, and everything that's about it. Apparently, according to some rumours in Ukrainian media, there's funding until the end of the season and then who knows what's going to happen. So that's that's the problem. Vorska could be in dire issues here. 
fingers crossed they can pull something out of the bag, I mean, for the remainder of the season. But it just seems that Skripnik's come at like a untimely occasion to be really impactful or he just can't really get a tune out these out these players, despite the fact that he's got a lot of familiar familiar ones in there, like uh, obviously Yurchenko and others. But it just doesn't seem to be fully working. We'll see what happens, obviously, going forward. Stepanyuk looks okay today. Seferi, obviously, the Albania international, very sharp, continuing his goal-scoring form. But there's just something a bit flat. I don't know what it is. Uh, in other news, uh, we have a comeback in UPL. Uh, Serhii Kovalets, the man who brought my club, Obolon Kiev, the biggest victories in history against Dynamo uh, on Dynamo Stadium and Shakhtar twice, Obolon Arena and Donbass Arena, the first team who won on Donbass Arena before Barcelona. This man is back at Inhulets Petrove. He is continuing to implement his philosophy of Horoshi football in Ukrainian or simply good football in um, English. Uh, that's um, that's his words. That's how it's been throughout the last 15 years for him. The guy is uh, known for his uh, transfers uh, rumors because he's uh, believed to be connected with um, agents who bring players which are not agreed with the um, uh, club's um, establishment. That's how. That's why one of the reasons he ended up working in Obolon, albeit triumphant beforehand, but in the end, uh, Chernomorets, Odessa, other clubs, uh, he did not work there much. Although he produced some results and some loud victories. And one of them happens in this match day on UPL, Dynamo and Hulets. Uh, 2-0 uh, to Petrova team um, on Dynamo Stadium against the team which Kovalet himself after the match called uh, the top club of European football. And if we could, we could have uh, edited... Uh, hear a laughing segment from the old TV shows, but we won't do that, of course. Um, but uh, that's actually ridiculous, right? I mean, it's probably the biggest win in Hinkula's history as well. Might as well be. And that leads us with the club itself, which is uh, good looking. But I mean, I've never been to Petrova and I'm not sure you guys were there, but um yeah, so you have something to tell more than me. But the point is, it seems to me that albeit this club is agricultural, as we say, it's the new wave and it's community centered. I feel like this club is actually one man uh, show. Uh, we know who we talk about, the president. And Kovalets mentioned him in the press conference. He likes to do that. He is all about uh, the club establishment and then the fans, whereas Inhulet's fans, um, they have, the club itself provides a good marketing, decent marketing. They have the best kit in the UPL without any book making agencies on their uh, kits as sponsors, which I absolutely crazy about. I mean, their striped kits, yellow and red, absolutely gorgeous. Um, so that leads us to believe that they actually can handle the marketing uh, side of uh, Ukraine top flight football. But 
I still I'm still confused who actually supports that team. I mean, on the spot, right? Obviously, the uh, probably the all of the fans, like seventy percent of the fans, work uh, for uh, Papa Povoroznyuk. That would be my guess. I don't know. Maybe you guys can correct me here. So far, I don't mind if Inholets stays as a uh, bogey team for uh, the uh, top clubs in UPL and if they end up being uh, middle mid-table ghosts, as Adam said previously, I think they are the perfect match for that title. Yeah, i got to agree, Ray. And I mean, bloody hell, Kovalets, he really has got a knack of beating Dynamo 2-0 at the Lobanovsky and beating Luchescu as well. Um, Obolon <laughs> twice, of course, at the Donbass Arena. Um at Obolonia Arena and obviously uh, at the Lobanovsky just this past weekend. Dinamo. Wow. We thought that they couldn't get any lower after the start of the season. And, you know, it looked like they were back on track, really, didn't they? Towards the end of, towards the end of the campaign before the winter break. But what the hell was that? In all honesty... I, I literally, I'm, I'm kind of lost for words. Um, I know that our friends at Dynamo Abroad podcast will probably go into this game in a hell of a lot of detail um, to go through the ins and outs. But I just want to pick out a few things uh, that I think obviously are, are quite interesting to take away. When Haramash is your best attacking player and the fact that he's coming on as sort of like the false nine centre forward in 2023, you've got problems. Basically, we saw the same old, same old stuff from Luchescu that we saw last year and the year before that and the year before that. It didn't work. Okay, I think Haramash hit the post at one point, but they were never actually any closer to scoring a goal. Viktor Tankov leaving and, you know, getting another assist for Girona this weekend. Meanwhile, Dinamo just can't create anything is a big issue. And Zabani at the back, uh, everyone was complaining about how bad Zabani was or regressed or plateaued in the first half of the season. Bloody hell, when you've got Djachuk at centre-back, uh, he had a baptism of fire in the in the UPL. And apparently he's probably one of the higher rated youngsters by Luchescu uh, at the club. So we'll, we'll see what happens from him over the coming weeks. Uh, towards the end of the season. And obviously, Voloshin was given his first start, first big appearance for Dynamo uh, on the wing. He didn't really do much, got subbed very early on. And for some reason, none of the foreign players made it on until really late in the game. It was very weird. Like, Lonvite probably should have been starting because he's one of Dynamo's best players. And Benito came on. Uh... Eric Ramirez randomly returned on the deadline day and missed the entire, obviously, the entirety of mid-season training, which is something that apparently Luchescu really hates when players aren't there for mid-season training or pre-season. So he's probably going to take a number of weeks to get some game time or maybe none at all. They signed one player this transfer window, one player, and that was Ramadani, um, uh, North Macedonia under 21 international 
centre defensive mid who apparently can back is but essentially back up for Sidorchuk. Um been told that he was essentially scouted from a friendly that Dinamo played during that winter break. So I think that says a lot about the scouting system at Dinamo. And <laughs> You I know, think we need. I think we need to add that his agent is a former Dynamo player as well. <laughs> and you can add that as well. Yeah, Goran Popov. Obviously, he was in all the all the unfailing photos. And yeah, I mean, te- honestly, Dynamo don't deserve to finish in a medal spot. That's for certain. And just in the state that they're in right now, I wouldn't want them anywhere near Europe either, because I don't think they can offer anything. Unless unless a brand new manager comes in and shows something else, but you know, I think they're going to be grinding out until the end of the season with Ichesko, and then some sort of magic might pop up, like you know, Kostyuk might get promoted or something. Maybe he might inject something. But I think Dynamo need a bit of a reality check, really. Some years in the wilderness, and maybe that might start forcing the hand of uh, the Swordkiss brothers to actually put some investment into the, many of the things that we've been talking about over the course of this episode and community aspects of getting involved, obviously social media where they're trying, but obviously you can tell there's like Lex to no budget and they can't really do anything. Um, and just transfers, bloody hell. Imagine actually signing some players instead of nothing. Can I ask you a question, so, Andrew. Just, yeah, go for it. You know, obviously, I watched watched the game. It's quite interesting for me. I watched Dinamo Inglets then turned over to Chelsea against Leeds. And you being based in the UK, which club do you think is in a bigger mess, Chelsea or Dinamo? Absolutely, Dinamo Kiev. There's not even there's. I don't think that's even up for debate. Really, Chelsea are in a mess this season. Like, yeah, they're probably not going to get. Champions League or maybe even a European spot. But I think that literally, you know, if if their problem continue perseveres for any longer than the summer, all they're going to do is get a new manager, probably more proven one, and then that will probably fix most things. And they've got a great squad of, you know, brilliant talent. It just needs actual coaching. Whereas Dynamo, it's not just the manager that's the issue, I think. They have got a good squad mainly and it should probably be challenging for the title in reality on paper but you combined everything just the whole there's like a cloud over that club and it needs like urgent attention not that they're going to get relegated or anything this season but it just seems that them getting into Europe every year just prolongs any action actually being taken yeah so it's just like oh well we're in Europe now well that's another five million euros for free that we're going to get. Oh, yeah, let's play it out, blah, 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 blah. I think someone else has to get a go. And, I mean, next season it might even be harder for Dynamo if they don't buck up their ideas because, like we spoke in the last episode, Polisia, they're going to be breathing down their backs. And even if they might not be having the most ideas or direction themselves, but bar a wealthy owner, I think they seem to have a bit more of a structure in the direction they want to go in. So... We will see. Last one, Andrew. Do you agree with Kovalev's words? Because you mentioned every year Dynamo joins the European tournaments, albeit this year it was the lowest of them, like the Conference League. Uh, but do you actually agree that Dynamo is the uh, top European club and that's why they 
constantly deserve being in the European Championships? No. Anyway, I think there's not actually anything more to add on that point, Ray. But but obviously, I think we've spoken a bit too much about some serious negative football. Let's move on to some less negative football, but still negative. Krivbas versus Kolos. <laughs> Krivbas got revenge on Kolos from match day one of the UPL. Remember that when yeah. Vernadub made his comeback, started swearing at the ref, got sent off. This time round, it was it was a father and son affair. Vitali Vernadub scored from a corner, header, one of the only chances of serious chances of the game, scored it, three points, staying in Krivirich. And you know, Krivbas are in a solid position after a relatively terrible start to the campaign. They're sixth now. And I mean, they've got that, I guess, structure, organisation, got a couple of African players that will be joining them, I think, shortly, if I'm not mistaken, due to work permits being an issue. But I think Adam's actually going to take us a bit more through exactly what Krivbas have been going for over the past uh, winter months. It's been a weird winter for them, you know, sort of when we think back to the summer, it was, oh, they're back in the UPR, we're going to see all this left, right and centre. And... Yeah, apart from Lunyov coming in from Zoria, there was generally just been the extension of contracts for a number of key players. Yeah, Lunyov obviously hasn't lived up to his potential in in Zoria, and it's probably time for him to move on. Obviously, you know, interesting that he played on the Vernidov before whilst there, so it'll be interesting to see if he can get him back towards anywhere towards his his best and maybe help him with Bass to move a little bit further forward. As you said, Andrew, they'd started off abysmally and picked up in the running. And again, the game was dull on Friday. It was quite, uh, I was thinking about it. I, I was unfortunately off work for ill health, but being an 11 o'clock kickoff in Luxembourg, it meant I was able to, it was midday kickoff, wasn't it? Uh, I was able to tune in, but the game was so poor, I fell asleep a few times during the match and had to rewatch it a few times to find out what was going on. Um, but, hey, if they can stick, keep grinding out these results, it was nice to see the revenge on that first game. I forgot about that. You were there, weren't you, Andrew, at, at the game on the, the opening day of the season? Um but yeah, Krivbas, you know, we've just mentioned there about the systematic problems at Dynamo. Krivbas have got it right. You could see I was, you know, obviously listening to the national anthem being sung at the start of the game. And as the the camera pan, pans around to behind the goal, and you see the cutout figures of the the fallen soldiers who were part of the the ultra movement at, at Krivbas. Um, it really sort of strikes a tone with you as not somebody directly connected to the club, but as a follower of Ukrainian football, you think, yeah, this is something, you know, they really value what the people of Kriviri give to the club. And they're honouring those heroes that have given their lives for Ukraine. And in a way, that would mean most to them. You know, having been there, being part of the club, having been to the club in the past, we know 
marketing strategy there organized by Alexander Anotko and his team. It's extensive and it's enlightened. Just to chip in on the trends a little bit, uh, the the goal Vernon Dupes scored, he celebrated with with uh, the Samuel Eto'o celebration from 2014, an old man. That's a ridiculous thing to watch. I mean, you have to check it out. And the other thing, a perfect example of something we don't really see in Ukrainian football a lot, which is a football shithousery, which is common in English football and in the kind. But it happened in Warsaw-Zorek game when apparently Brashko, uh, who, as I recall, is a product of Dynamo Academy, he uh, is about to take a penalty against Isenko, who, as Andrew mentioned, is a kind of an expert in penalties. And Brashko scores, and he just runs. He doesn't celebrate. He runs straight to Isenko and just keeps telling him, you know what? So he just lets his celebration. And that is something which, oh gosh, I haven't seen that in Ukrainian football for ages. And that's something, uh, something if you call, if you want to call a late trend. Thank you. Um, one final thing I, I did forget about crew last before we jump over to Carlos. Uh, of course, Bolashin was with them in the first half of the season, wasn't he? Before he's been called back to Dinamo. Am I right there? Was the leading goal scorer for them. So that is a huge question mark for them going forward. They started off well, goal from the corner, then you know, but uh, yeah, it'll be, I think, the key question for them going. In the remaining weeks, is will they be able to fix that hole? I think Colos, though, probably got a few more holes that need fixing. They just seem, I don't know, just a bit directionless at the moment. A uh, bit uninspiring, in all honesty. Didn't really show too much against Grivbas, um, really, did they? And, and they've been relatively low in scoring goals this season. I think they're one of the lowest scoring teams in the league, 14 goals um, in 16 games. And they got, well, Sichanava, remember the good old guy that we've had so many high hopes for uh, when he was the Padshaliha scorer a few years ago. He's left as a free agent. Renan Oliveira obviously was on loan elsewhere in the first half of the season. He's actually left permanently now, I think, for FK Sarajevo. And now Vorskla sort of got Bezborodka up front. He doesn't seem to be scoring the amount of goals that he was doing when he was playing um, at the likes of Zoria, Desana, Alexandria back in the day. Um, similarly, uh, what's his name? Lissenko. He's been kind of off it for the past couple of seasons as well. It just looks like the team's um, needs a bit of rejuvenation, really, their entire squad. And I just don't un- see um, if that's going to come anytime soon. Smirny, I think, is probably one of the better players in the side. And so is uh, obviously Sadi Bolbat. But they can't really carry this team. We'll, we'll we'll see how the season carries on. They've got a couple of Dynamo loanees as well, like um, Kirill Popov, uh, Isayanko, who always loads of people had high hopes for. None of them have really hit the ground running for Colos. And I mean, if we're going to be talking about sort of the community impact 
Kolos is probably the similar to in Hullets. Their sort of main target audience is the village that they represent, or not just the village, really, but the whole sort of region around them. Bilatadkva, Fastiv. Um, they have they do get fans, and when the stadium is open, they get a decent attendance. Obviously, right now, it's another question because especially with a team like that, it's one that you prefer to go for the occasion, everything that's going on at the stadium. There's like fun stuff to do at half time. And it's like the whole occasion. And, you know, the football does come a bit secondary. It does help when they're obviously teams playing well and everything. But at the moment, you've got no fans at stadiums, so you can't really go. And Colos are playing some dross football on top of that. So it's like, what's the current situation there? There has obviously been rumours from Andriy Pavelko saying that he's him, UPL clubs and UAF have all, and obviously military administration have all been in contact with each other discussing the return potentially of fans to stadiums, be it at their own risk. And if they have to go down to the bomb shelters when that all happens, that's not been resolved yet. So... Time will tell whether it will be or not. But for the time being, I think Colos is in a bit of a limbo. They're not in any particular danger, but certainly need a, a rejig or some sort of rejuvenation in the summer. Uh, at the moment, it seems like, yeah, they'll be getting a few. They'll probably get a few results here and there. They're relatively solid defensively. They've got a decent spine in the team, but just lack of goals. And now let's go back to the second part of the game, which previously lasted four hours. Yep, we're talking about Metalist against Rook, everyone. We spoke about Metalist 1925 earlier. Well, this time it was uh, Metalist Cargo. I had been having a good look at Rook, though. Andrew will dive into Metalist a little bit later. Rook, um, Rook are a weird one. To be perfectly honest, they've had a lot of success with their youth team. And we spoke about it in the last part about their uh, performance in the the youth league this season being incredibly impressive. But the senior team still sort of fails to deliver. Mind you, they've won their first game after the winter break. Uh Incredible 2-1 victory against uh, Metalist Stan in Ushkarod. Uh, probably most noticeable for a comically disallowed goal for Biff Solomon, our good friend there. I believe, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I think it would have been his first goal in Ukrainian football and potentially the first goal scored by a, a Brit in the UPL ever. Um Unfortunately, though, and I, I mean, VAR, I assume, was switched off because they definitely didn't go for any reviews of it. It did look like it was still in when the uh, the goalie there sort of palmed the ball back to him. If you haven't seen it again, I recommend checking out the highlights. But to give you a brief description, a long shot was badly handled by the goalie. And in trying to avoid a corner... He palmed it straight to Viv Solomon's feet and left him with an empty net from about two yards out and had us all in giggles across social media land for most of Sunday afternoon. Um, 
Rook have had a quiet winter. They brought in Jefferson into the defence. Um, Tales was key performer for them before the winter break. And there's nobody really there to sort of step up and take take on sort of the burden of production at, at the attacking end of the pitch. I mean, for me, the, what's going to be most exciting about the remainder of the season with Rook is will some of these under-19 stars start to step up? You know, Marco uh, Sapuga has been playing regularly in midfield for them this season and he's been involved in the under-19 campaign. But when you look across the squad, most of them have just been sort of dropping in and out of, of the first-team squad. And if anyone from Rug does listen to this, we would really like to see some of these guys that have had the success in Europe Trans transfer this across to adult football in the UPL because you're trying to sell them, make sure these <laughs> foreign clubs that are looking know they can perform against men and get them playing against men. Uh, on the other hand, though, I think Metalist is a slightly different story. Yes, that is completely true. Uh, Metalist, I mean, if they weren't already have certainly become uh, Dnipro One's farm club, to, to say the very least. Um, they've got a core squad of Ukrainians in there. Um, randomly got a brand new manager in the middle of the winter break, um, Onyanovic, who used to play for Dynamo back in the day. Never, I don't think he played about three games or something. And... He's just come in randomly out the blue with like next to no coaching experience for a team that, you know, is battling relegation in in all honesty. They're 13th at time recording. And there is a chance that they may fall even lower because teams around them actually don't look too bad, like Tron Moritz, Inholet, Veres, that we're going to come on to shortly. Um, from a transfer perspective. Well, this is where it's really interesting. Uh, if we go to the fact that four, four players left on loan this window from Metalist to Dnipro 1, four players. And those were like four of their best players. You have Henpita Lepenet, uh, Kaplianko, uh, Fedoriev, who's... Uh, got a long history of playing in in and out of Russia. Tankovsky, who's obviously been one of the better players for Metalists in recent times. Uh, they got rid of Rebka, who was their sort of first-choice goalkeeper at some point. Peixoto's had his loan renewed with another Brazilian side, Goash. And, you know, Raskos as well, Melton. These kind of players that, that were obviously key in, in the run-up to their promotion, etc. never seem unlikely to ever play for the team. And it's also completely unclear what the state of the ownership of the club is. Yaroslavsky's been, like, completely on mute since, like, last year. Obviously, funding has dried up entirely uh, based on these transfers. Like, they have brought in... Uh, they brought in one Brazilian this window. Um, they brought in Boychuk from Ruch Uh They brought a former Cayenne 
youth player, uh, Patty Malumansoko, um, who last played in the second tier of Greek football. Uh, I think the most exciting player really that they've signed is uh, Naumets, who's quite a sort of an exciting winger that played for Trondo Moritz and Menai recently. But even still, this team, you know, after everything that Adam sort of added earlier on about Metalist 1925, this team in particular has lost its entire soul from everything that we saw prior to February um 2022 where they were like flying obviously they had all the funding we thought that they were gonna come and become this new third power in the upl and they're just basically a skeleton of a side if anything metal east 925 just seem a bit more stable in all honesty they don't they might be that middle those middle hugging that middle place hugging side for whatever. But, you know, they've got Edmar, they've got a few sort of youth players, etc. They look okay um, in the grand scheme of things. They're probably just missing a strike or so. Whereas Metalist, just everything around them right now just reminds me of those 2015, 2016 years just before they disappeared again. It was just like, hey, they're bringing in these random managers. You can't do anything. They've got a couple of okay players, but on the whole, the squad's pretty threadbare. And this is sort of like leading towards the end kind of thing. Obviously, the rumours to Dnipro 1 um, and the links there won't die. And the fact that obviously um, Krasnikov has got his links probably still there even though he says he he hasn't allegedly allegedly it just means that how long really will metalis last for once nipro one assign the entire or well all of the good players that they need to can metalis just die again who knows it, it's a it's a sad state of affairs really because of the history and everything to do with metalis but honestly it's a club that you know, if they got relegated or something or even disappeared right right now, you'd be like, shrug your shoulders, really, sadly. I'd be quite happy. Be, I thought they shouldn't have, he shouldn't have been allowed into professional football when he was. Yeah, I've said it. Anyway, there is Sean Moritz is next on our list. Uh, very entertaining game in Rivna. So on Saturday, Christ, it seems like a seems like twenty four hours ago. Um, game of the season as well. Great, great match. Potentially where it all changes for the side from the from the coast down down there, Ray. You've been having. I mean, Christ, you must have spent all, all weekend looking at this. You've got both teams to cover. Good point, Adam. Uh, I I've done some. Uh, networking, if you could say that, football networking. I spoke to uh, some guys from Mexico and Florida, and when I asked them which Ukrainian cities they know, they named Odessa. So all the more reason to respect this wonderful club, uh, oh, sorry, wonderful city, and I'm not sure about the club because the rumor had it that their owner, uh, finally not a pro-Russian politician, but some other uh, company, Allianz Capital, um, is kind of connected with some 
scammy, as they say in Ukrainian, or just shady history. But so far, it's looking good. Chernomorets has had some transfers. They brought back a Vagiman, who is a legend of the club already, a young guy who was um, in Alexandria recently. Also, they signed a few foreigners, and one of them actually, um, uh, the, the first goal was scored by a guy, Badi Banga. He's not listed as the new transfer, so he's been there for a while. And um, don't praise the guy. I mean, he scored the goal. He kind of like, it, it took him three touches of the ball, but don't praise him, please. I mean, this last name, I mean, it took me a while to find him right now and might as well be as quick as we forget him, you know, in in one or two match days. Um, they played against Veres, who are... Um, in trouble because uh, they are three points away from Chernomorets itself in the relegation zone, uh, which is, um, as you said, Adam, potentially that's that probably one time has come for Chernomorets to come back and to Rio to, to show his uh, magic. As uh, I mean, I keep I keep repeating that, and when we talk about UPL, that Andrew actually put them in number six in his in his four, uh, season uh, prediction because of Rigorchuk, and maybe now is the time to actually prove. Prove the words, but Veres, I mean, those guys defending, they keep piling up the players in the uh, in their own um, in their own box all the time, and they keep pushing back to the uh, as if they are playing ten goalkeepers, and that's been a history of this season so far under Yuri Virt, who has been a quite a media personality. Working Veres, and we know that the TV, like YouTube series from Dmitry Povorozhnyuk, who um, I'm not sure if he's gonna any chances to score a UPL goal this season. But so far, of course, Veres is the product of uh, the modern Ukrainian football on the rise. Everyone involved with the club, everything connected with the city of Rivne, the fan base. I would say, I would so, I would go so far as saying that this club is the um a leader in public relations in Ukrainian football. I mean, you might correct me, guys, but that's what I see. And um, it's a shame to see them going down because they don't deserve it. Um, they finally launched their stadium, they transfers. Actually, when I was preparing my teams for today, I had four teams to prepare, but I looked through overall transfers and only Varys has the price uh, paid for their player for Yevhen Pasic, who left to one of the top clubs in the league for 150,000 euros. That's the only number I saw in the whole table of transfers this summer, this this window. That tells you something, right? I mean, uh, no one ever talks about. That's why my, probably why I don't like transfers in Ukraine because you never get the full information. But they got um, some players. They even signed a guy from basically out the street. Like it's my dream here in Argentina. If someone picks me up in the team, I would be really happy. But they actually did it in Ukraine. They, uh, if you if you uh, seen the latest episodes of Foot Footballer series on YouTube, uh, there is plenty to say about that. And good luck to the guy. Uh, he's got a like story, like cinematic story. Like he recently married. He's got a young kid to support. All that you know, bit of a drama there. Uh, coming back to Chernomorets, um, they've left some some players left them, like some foreigners, and some foreigners joined them. So I'm 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 not sure what is the logic here. You know, like they say, like foreigners don't want to go to war country, but I see the opposite. 
One last honorable mention is Andriy Bliznichenko at Veres, who actually um, gave the penalty away. The guy ha apparently had uh, the weight of 89 kilograms after they signed him this winter window. Uh, and he was a former new Johan Konoplanka, who we are about to mention really, real soon in the pod. So stay tuned to that. And uh, if you ask me which teams uh, do I support within these two, Paris or Turner Moritz, who would I like to play in the playoffs for survival in the relegation battle? I would say Paris. That would be a real test. That would be the moment of truth. Well, where would you like Turner Moritz to be if you're playing Paris in the playoffs? <laughs> they deserve to stay. They deserve to stay because uh, it's... Um, I don't want to sound like Kovalets with his Dynamo speech, but for me, Turner Odessa is the club which belongs in UPL. Simple as that. Whoa, cliches. <laughs> You've heard it there. I, for me, and uh, no, I shouldn't talk about Veres, but it's a club that I had a close affinity with when I first got involved in Ukrainian football. Um, I feel like it's lost its way just a little bit. I was reading uh, recently about Shevchuk's being removed as sporting director and had to be renamed as chief executive or someone of a random position purely because Yuri Burt didn't want anyone interfering with footballing side. And they're like, hey, but we've got Shevchuk here. <laughs> Surely you could take some advice from him on on, on matters. So, so just... Like for me, the last few seasons, yep, they've had great success in the UPL, and um, you know when they, they returned last year, their strong defence made them look very comfortable. First of all, but the club just—I don't know—just something doesn't sit quite right with me yet. Maybe when all the fans are are allowed back, more fans are allowed back, and we get to see people in the stadium and how they're interacting with the club. Maybe that will alleviate some of my concerns. Well, yeah, they just, that core sort of various vibe seems to be missing from a lot of the publicity. It seems a bit more gimmicky than community orientated at the moment. Anyway, I've waffled on too much about them. Um, the Ukrainian forest I've got next on my list, Andrew. I know what it means, but I don't know if our listeners do. Yeah, we're moving on to, obviously, Lviv versus Menai. What a game for new signings, of course. Lviv started the match with 10 brand new signings in their starting 11. 10. And the other guy's been there for a fair bit. And ironically, of course, it was a Lviv player who's not a new signing, Ramanyak, who came off the bench and scored a beautiful finish to, to win it 1-0. I mean, I, you know, they gave it a go, but both sides, not, not the best, especially when you look at their position at the table, uh, bottom and second bottom. Now, Lviv have moved to, I think, within two points of Manai, so it's all getting a bit squeaky bum time down there. And pretty tight in general. I think it's one of the tightest uh, relegation battles in recent history with regards to everyone else down there. Talking about Lviv, they signed 16 players in the winter transfer window. 
and that's why they're called the forest the ukrainian forest because similar to nottingham forest they've literally just got an entirely new squad more or less and are expected to survive from bottom place right now nine points from 15 games can they turn it around can they escape i mean if you actually look at the players they've brought in they actually have got some good talent in there um a, a quite uh, an exciting mix of literally anyone who's anyone so got a few people that have come from the <clears throat> lower leagues you got Kozik, who's been brought in on loan from Dynamo Kiev. Uh, Ali Bekov, also on loan. Um, a few Brazilians have arrived. Igor Gabriel. Um, Murilo Souza. Guillerme, who literally was just announced very recently. Leo Antonio. We paid for one player only, apparently. And that's um, Sirzhniak. <clears throat> so... It's it's going to be interesting, but you've also got some of the old the old classics in there. Alexander Ribka, that we've mentioned, he's going to be their goalkeeper. Wow, that's uh, that's all right. Uh, Yurchuk has arrived from Dnipro One, and I think most excitingly, um, Esiola <laughs> might get some game time in the in the UPL because uh, he obviously. <clears throat> left Vorskla during, obviously, the first few months of the war last year, I think. Never, obviously, ever got any minutes for Vorskla. Signed for some Bulgarian side, and now he's back in the UPL. And him and, remember, Dechatev, he's come back from after a spell at, in Poland and I think in Kazakhstan or something like that. So, in general... They've got a solid basis. Whether Oleg Dulub can do anything with that squad is another question because they had this really quite, I don't know, well put together. I think mainly done by Paddy Match, who's their sponsor, um, press conference where they unveiled all of the new signings with all their new shirts and squad numbers and everything. Like that. It was essentially like announcing a brand new club per se and I mean yeah you know this is another one of those clubs where you think where's the fan base and what do they really exist for um, because obviously Lviv has got Karpate Ruk in recent years have been working on the marketing machine to say hey we're the other Lviv side whereas this just FC Lviv are just sort of there Um what their real purpose is, is, is another question. And you kind of fear for them that if they get relegated, would they continue kind of thing? Who knows? We'll, we'll wait and see. And I would be shocked if they survive, despite this fact. Okay, it's like a brand new squad and we we don't really know what to expect for them for the remainder of the season in, in, in all honesty. But um, just judging from what we've seen from them in recent years, it doesn't look too inspiring, does it? Whereas Minai, who are just above them, seem to be in a more stable position. They work on pretty much everything. And I'm, I think Adam's going to touch on that um, from his segment. I mean, they they do. <laughs> They've made a few signings as well. Not overly inspiring ones. Is it 
Shishka came from Lviv and Petko from Chornomorex. Uh, Melnik came coming from, on loan from Alexandria as well to tighten up the defence there. I mean, the, the thing with Minai, uh, we've spoken about them for a few years as well there. Um, they've had a rather bad PR over over the last few years and a number of people have questioned their purpose or even their right to be in the UPL considering the fact they've been relegated on, on, on more than one occasion, if I'm right. Um, but they're still here and this winter has been a remarkable marketing success and an unplanned marketing success, but they're... Uh, Victoria's battle, uh, fight and victory in the the winter training camp hotel against uh, yeah. uh, not only are they horrible buggers and anyway, but their behaviour towards some of the staff in the hotel was disgusting, and you know they're going to pick up a number. I mean, straight after the the reports came out and the video footage came out, a lot of prominent Ukrainian football I went uh, people because it was from a number of uh, positions you know said great we want to see Manai stay in the UPL we want to see them there you've you've done Ukraine proud this winter and let's hope they do you know let's hope they let's hope they stay up um obviously Andrew spoke just about the game against Lviv Earlier on, first game back, they faced Shakhtar and fortunate goal going through Trubin's legs there. But they you know, they created chances against Shakhtar and Shakhtar is a real good test for a team like Manai. If they're creating chances against Shakhtar, we can expect them to create chances against the teams that they're going to need to pick up the points against if they're going to stay up and survive. Yeah, this this positive vibe around the club that's come from the winter, you know, may stay and may be able to be built on to to make something a little bit better there, and actually build a a solid football club down in Ushgorod instead of one that's actually fighting for survival, uh, <laughs> as it seems to be at the moment. Uh, Hey guys, have we finished? Have we finished all sixteen clubs? <laughs> that that was a momentous effort. But listeners, we're not finished yet, though, are we? Um, some of our bullies overseas have been making waves over the over the last week. Andrew, you're going to start with the Scottish contingent for us. Absolutely. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, we've got two Scottish representatives uh well two scottish ukrainian representatives first of all mikola kucharevich back from his long or overextended knee injury uh returned on the weekend got a goal after coming on as a sub against livingston livingston mid-table side 4-1 win decent stuff fingers crossed he can you know, build on that and maybe even reach double figures before the end of the campaign because I think he's on four four goals right now. On top of that, we've got Max Kuchiriavi, who Adam's been obviously hoping that he goes on loan somewhere for ages because um, he's just not been getting the 
any game time, despite featuring on the bench for St. Johnston, like literally every game week. He's gone on loan to Falkirk, who are currently in Scottish League One, which is the third tier of Scottish football. They're battling for promotion, battling for the title, really. And he came off off the bench at halftime for them, uh, scored their first goal and got an assist for their second as they ended up beating a bottom side, Peterhead, 5-0. And in general, I mean, it's good to see from both of those who are both contenders for obviously the under-21 squads. And both have been called up by Ruslan Rotain for his under-21 friendlies uh, against Denmark and Italy this month, however, in different capacities. Kukarevic, he's in the first team. He is getting a call-up. Kuchariavi is on the reserve list, so there's no guarantee he actually will get called up for the Molodjishka, which is a shame, but hopefully if he carries on with these performances, um, got a start against Dunfermline this week. Sadly, they lost 2-0, but as long as he keeps progressing and keeps playing well, fingers crossed he'll stay in that radar. Other players involved in the under-21 side, Nobody too new. The classics of Maxim Talavirov in at the back. Drambayev, who's been playing for Zulta Varegem. Uh, Vivcherenko, literally three Ruch under-19 talents who obviously got knocked out by Inter Milan in the Youth League last week. Roma, Njeljah, Didik. We're seeing the likes of Kriskiv, who has got himself on the Ukraine senior reserve list, but he's in the main squad for the under-21s and similar with Danilo Sakan. He's also on the reserve list for Zbirna, but he's also in the main squad for Molodishka. On top of that, Bogdan Vunik, he's been scoring for his new second-tier Austria side, Grazer, and I think they're in a position to possibly win the title there if they continue... And, I mean, some of the usual faces that you can see. Sadly, the likes of Nazar Voloshin similarly are on the reserve list. So is Oleksii Sitch. I assume that he just must not be fit enough after his injury uh, for court trike uh, of late. And similarly, the one that Adam mentioned from Ruka earlier, Sapuka, who's been playing a lot for the senior team and the under-19s. And a few of those... Shakhtar under 19 is uh, that we also mentioned to uh, Andri Buleza, Farina. Um, so I'm sure that a fair few will actually be turning out for the under 19s, which have got some key qualifiers rather than friendlies this at the end of this month. But overall, looking pretty good. And fingers crossed that both of our Scottish contingent can continue playing well as the season progresses, because it's it's great to see them flourishing over there. Definitely so, definitely so. Shall I take us over to Cyprus? I just whizzing around Europe now really quickly. We never know where we are, but one thing's guaranteed is Besedin will not score a goal. We're up to 26 games and 1,518 minutes now, ladies and gentlemen. It's almost as bad as soccer, you know. Um, 
come on, people at home, send in your recommendations. What are we going to do when we're said in schools? We need we need something. Okay, what will, what would you like to see from us if Bersedin ever gets a goal ever again in his career? However, Bezos, on the other hand, we don't have to worry about him. Last minute winner to send Omnia through to the Cypriot semi-finals this week. Seems to have settled in well on the island. Um, now, jumping away from Cyprus up to Poland, uh, Kocherin. Um, actually, I thought about him a lot whilst watching Dinamo's performance, seeing how abysmal Kabayev was there. <laughs> but he's looking rather well now. He's got out of Zarya. Uh, Rakov, who is going to be it's their first title they're on course to win this year. In the extra classer, they were uh, leading by nine points at time of recording. And, uh, yeah, scored a stunner this weekend for them as well. Really going well for him over there in Poland. And now we've got a big game coming up for the national team this, this month. What's the latest with the team news for the squad, Andrew? Yep, so we've already mentioned Ruslan Nortain's under-21 squad that he's announced, but he's also announced his caretaker senior national team squad, uh, which he did so on Monday. Not too many surprises, in all honesty, from what we've been speaking about in recent episodes about Conor Pianka potentially getting called up. That was completely true. And he is included. Obviously, there's been main talk about why is he included? Is it because Ruslan Rotan and him are friends from obviously the Dnipro days? Probably. Uh, because as we were just talking about Kocherhin, he probably deserves to be in the squad on form. And he's a bit more versatile as in he can play anywhere across the attacking front line in terms of central attacking midfield or on the wings compared to Konopianka, who hasn't really shown much at all over the past few years. Uh, elsewhere, we've got Elias Zabani and Andrea Ramonko included. However, uh, Tato Tukai and a few other sources have been saying that there's less than 50% chance of both of those players being fit for the game. So we will see what happens. But it's great to see the likes of Jorge Sudakov, Artem Bondarenko included. Um, Vitaly Boyalski finally gets a... Another chance, obviously one of the most in and out or most spoken about players of the Petrikov and Shevchenko eras that really never got a chance to go. Good to see Tankov in there. It's pretty likely that he's going to be starting on the right wing if Yarmolenko isn't fit enough from his injury. And I think the main thing that you probably might worry about is that uh, you look at the centre-backs that's been, I've got, you've got Mikola Matvienko in there. Uh, Alexander Svatok and Edward Sarapi from Dnipro 1. And if anywhere, Dnipro 1 haven't been too good in any position, haven't been too good in this season, it's in defence. So whilst both of those players are, I guess, both have got experience and whatnot, neither probably fit you with any serious um, comfort compared to someone like Zabani, who... The fact that he hasn't played, obviously, since November and, the, and he's just going to be coming back from injury, sort of playing on the grass and all that kind of stuff, it's worrying. On the reserve list, though, you've got Valeri Bondar. I'm not sure why he wasn't included directly in the squad. And Denis Popov. And you'd probably put in Bondar in there over Popov anyway, if, if the call-up is required. And 
more of a shock on the reserve list is the guy who has retired twice but keeps popping back up. Um Andriy Piatov, he's he's on the reserve list. I doubt he's actually going to make it into the full-time squad, even if the likes of Lunin, Riznik or Trubin are injured. Um, obviously, Bushan is out because he's still just recovering from his uh, surgery. I'm not entirely, can't remember exactly what it was for. I think it might have been a slip disc in his back. So he's not going to be ready at all. Um, as I mentioned on the under-21s, you've got Dimitro Kreskiv and Daniel Zakan already included in there full sort of squad so it seems unlikely that they will feature unless there is an injury or something that comes up and I think a lot of people are disappointed that Danilo Ignatenko he's been playing consistently um, for Bordeaux in Ligue 2 why he's not in the full squad and the likes of Sehi Sidorchuk is who really hasn't been up to it performance wise uh, for a while now and obviously we saw the kind of performances that Dinamo are playing in general hence why there are very minimal players from that team in the full squad. Boyalski, Sidorchuk, Karavayev, one of them. And then obviously potential problems up front because Roman Yaramchuk's not in great form. Martin Dovbik is back and he's still scoring as we saw on, on the weekend. So fingers crossed something can work out by them. It's, it's going to be tough against England to say the very least. I think a lot of people, I was a bit more positive when the draw was made, but now that we've had all these injuries, all these form problems, even Milo Mudrik, it sort of brings it all into question. However, one thing we do know is that there's a lot of players that form does not transcend between clubs and national teams. Somehow it runs perpendicular or parallel, as they say. And, we might see hopefully the likes of Mudrik turning on a performance like Yermonko used to when he wasn't playing well for West Ham, but still getting goals for Spirna. And who knows, maybe if Yefhen Konopranga comes on in the final 10 minutes against England at Wembley, he might pull something out of the bag. Um, a stunner. But I don't condone the fact that he is in the squad based on the fact that he really probably doesn't deserve to be based on form uh, of the past two and a half years, really. So... That, that is that. And in our next episode, we'll be going into all of this in a lot more detail because that will be a lot closer to the game. And one final topic for tonight. Going to come across to Ray on this one, first of all. Um, the Joma kick controversy. Obviously, it's reared its ugly head this week. Ray, do you want to bring our listeners up to speed for those who haven't been following the story? Right. I have never been a huge fan of uh, Joma or Homa or uh, Yoma, whatever. It doesn't matter now because it is the official um, get supplier for uh, Zenit St. Petersburg in Russia. And that says it all. Despite them denying the rumors, it's now obvious that they continue working there and they supply the kids for the Ukrainian national team. So that's the turn, the turn of our association to solve this issue, especially when we have to play on Wembley in the end of the month. <laughs> right. Talk about double standards. In other news, uh, a few teams have switched from Homa to um, more respectful uh, suppliers such as Nike. And Karpat Lviv was one of them. Quite a quick change, if you ask me. 
it's good to see Nike making their uh, comeback to the uh, leagues, the Supply Wars Club, uh, or some other teams, which uh, is is great to see. Also, Curve Bus is, is provided by uh, Homa. Uh, we, I wonder what the President's Club going to do about that. Um, even the uh, Opelon Academy have switched from Homa last week. This week, they've already played their final against, I might add, Metalist Kharkiv Academy, the one which we've written off in this episode. They've, so my uh, our academy switched to Jakob real fast, which is, which is an example, I might add. Um, I would love to see something else in Ukrainian football, like some other suppliers. Macron provides kids for a number of teams in West Ukraine and in Hulets, so that's a good option. Uh, Homa has been uh, in Ukraine for a while, and since uh, UAF changed its name from FFU to UAF under Pavelko, Homa has been everywhere. So its influence in Ukraine is so deep that I... Honestly, I don't believe they're going to switch to any other supplier for England game. After that, probably, but not with our association, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. Evidently, the reality of the situation is that there's like a middleman kind of thing going on here where Russia or their people in Russia continue to have kit supplies from Joma, so it's like sort of like a backdoor kind of job kind of thing. And I mean, if you're going to be falling for that, that's really poor. But I, I agree with Ray. I feel that it's probably too late to be tearing anything up with Joma or anything like that for the England game. But hopefully we might see something new come June or, or elsewhere, um, be it Nike, be it... Macron, be it anyone, really. Um, I think that everyone's just a bit sick and tired of Joe Mand. It's sort of run its course, despite the iconic kit that Ukraine currently have, um, which a lot of it wasn't available for people to purchase, which I think was the majority of people's main issue. And even when you did, it was like the spec was really nowhere near the quality that the players were wearing. So fingers crossed, whoever it is, it's going to be someone who is open or understands the fact that they can make a lot of money from selling kits around the Ukraine kits around the world, especially in the current situation and actually take advantage of that because a lot of people are very open to giving their money for that. So please, please do that. Nike or Adidas or Umbro or whoever will want to take that on. Great marketing strategy for somebody and a great way to bring the pod to an end tonight uh guys it's been an enjoyable one been a long one but been it's been a lot of fun to go through and it's an exciting two months ahead as we're in march uh before the champion is crowned and our embarrassment at some of our early season predictions is shamed across media space um but till next time everyone at home that's it for now. Until then, take care. Goodbye for now. Bye-bye.